Hey, good morning, all. Welcome to the Come and Good Podcast. I tell you, for today, it is a Tuesday, March 15th. It means a couple of things. Tuesdays, we get to talk politics. Rob Myers, he's here. Remember when you running for Congress? He's here, so we'll be talking to her about her run. But it's also March 15th. And Rob, we all know what that means. Today, I think it's today, Steve Garrett's birthday. Hey, Steve, Steve happy birthday to you. So glad that you're a listener. Hopefully, you're still a listener. Uh, Somehow, Rob yeah. picked up that one of our listeners named Steve Garrett has a birthday today. Don't, can't quite remember how, but it got noted down. So, happy birthday to yep. you, old friend, uh, old friend Steve. Yeah, all the best yeah. to you on a day like yeah. today. Hey, uh, we always uh, chit chat about the weather. I'm in Minneapolis. It's one of those days that makes your makes your spirit jump. Uh, Going to be fifty degrees, sunny, light wind. The snow is melting. Ah, oh, it's as if we live in Denver on a day like today. So, uh, and uh, we like chit chat about the weather for a second because it's one of the things that we all hold in common as we walk outside under the same sun. So at least we can start there with a little common good. Rob, how are things uh, snuggled just outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of overcast today. Uh, huh. Rain last night, but. Uh, I think we had snow last week on Friday, and uh, I think it's our last uh, our last snow of the year, hopefully. And uh, now, you know, spring is about to be upon us. Well, you, you live in one of those fine places in Arkansas where spring gets to come in March. I live in one of the places where March is a serious winter month. It uh, <laughs> has been in the past or snowy it, month. It's, you said it's fifty. Is because I'm Today you know I'm. Two days ago, it was it was minus seven. Uh, oh. So minus what's seven. It like it was, what's it going to be tomorrow morning? There, 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 it's going to be twenty five tomorrow morning. There were zero degrees, and then they took away seven more of the zero. It's like it's like being in debt. It's like a bank account that has gone below below Goodness balance. Uh, that's how well, cold it is here. Well, Reverend like Wendy, you're in Washington D.C. How, how are things looking in the uh, nation's capital there? Listen, we have like winter, then a spring then winter wanted to come back and then <laughs> fall it's just, it's it's a mixed bag as far as our weather now today it's 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 nice the sun's out it's going to be in the 60s by the time it's all said and done but on this past saturday we had a snowstorm that suddenly just appeared out of nowhere it was like a freak tundra of some sort so you never know you know what we're going to get in dc which is kind of the theme of this city but you know hey <laughs> the weather falls in line with that well reverend wendy you uh we're glad to talk to you for so many reasons uh as your congressional website says reverend wendy for congress dot com uh you are a reverend and you're running for congress and uh yes. the boy i mean nothing could fit our little theme around here of calling faith voters to the common good through politics and civic engagement like a reverend running for office all right so uh let's and and i should note um you you also are school support staff um which sure. is just such crucial and important important work why with all the important things you have going on in your life reverending and and school uh, support staff and all the work do you decide you want to add to that to run for congress and we should note run for congress in washington dc where whomever the representative is in congress actually is treated sort of like a second version of a congressperson because you don't actually get to vote on any of the votes because of how we handle a district as opposed to a, a state in a, a typical congressional district what brings you to wanting to run for Congress? Yeah, God, why did I do that? Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a good thing to so, check in on every now and again, isn't it? <laughs> quite, I ask myself that often. <laughs> quite, but quite honestly, uh, friends, I feel like public service is a form of ministry. So let me start there. And 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 with that frame of mind, I feel like wherever I can lend my my gifts, my my energy, and and my commitment to serving people, I look for opportunities to do that. I've always been interested in politics. I've always kind of helped out and volunteered and and you know made phone calls and things like that because I believe that um, faith and politics are not mutually exclusive. You understand what I'm saying? I believe that we are called as people of faith to hold leadership accountable 
um, for the policies that are put in place. We, as a social justice advocate, I'm concerned about legislation that impacts the poor and the oppressed and the widowed and, and making sure we are taking care of the least of these. So, so the, the, the wires crossed for me in terms of considering even pursuing this, this run, right? But from a practical perspective, two years ago, I was personally afraid for our country. I was afraid for our democracy. The Trump administration was um, in the midst of uh, running for re-election. We're saying, I'm talking June 2020, and I'm sitting at home and I'm watching civil rights leaders like John Lewis pass away and C.T. Vivian, and I'm watching all of the... um, work that they've done be threatened, you know, civil rights, you know, voting rights being rolled back. And I I felt like I want to do something. I said, God, I I need to do something. What can I do? How can I get involved? The church that I was pastoring at the time, Open Door Metropolitan Community Church, it, it had closed, unfortunately. It was it was an older church and we know a lot of churches are experiencing, you know, some trouble. So there was, you know, attendance was down, donations were down. So we made the hard decision to have to close that wow. ministry. So I found myself then saying, okay, God, what's my next step? And where, where is, where am I feeling led and called to and ultimately decided I wanted to take my, my skill set and offer it in the public domain as a candidate for Congress in D.C. And the last thing I'll say is the reason why I chose this particular role, because I thought about it. Do I really want to put my all? Do I really want to set aside uh, my life for a season for a role that doesn't even vote? But you know what? I said, I absolutely do, because until I can use my vote, I can use my voice. I can write legislation. I can influence what's what's being said. I can make sure the voice of D.C. residents, 700,000 of us who pay taxes and don't have representation are at that table and that our needs are being met. And so I feel like it was a worthy fight to undertake. I felt like that my life has kind of built me for it. So here I am. Wendy, you are you're you're actually challenging in the Democratic primary a uh, a longstanding um, congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and <clears throat> she has served in this role for a very long time. Um, wh- what you know? Why is it that you felt the need to say, "Hey, I I think I think." the people of D.C. need different representation than what they've had for so long. Well, one thing I'll say, and I like to say on the campaign trail is I have all due respect for Delegate Norton. She has served the city for 32 years and I don't have anything bad to say. I don't think you have to say anything negative about someone else to lift up your positive. So you won't Mm -hmm. hear me say anything negative. I say I'm not running against Eleanor. I'm running for D.C. I'm running for this city to give us options because I believe democracy calls for that. But I also was getting the sense in talking with some of the parents at my school, talking with residents just every day that they were feeling like it was time for a change, that it was time for us to begin considering our new chapter um, and what that might look like. And so as I sought advice before I actually made the decision to run, hearing those kinds of encouraging messages um, made me feel like this was the the right step to take, that it's not a replacement of Delegate Norton. But also, and I'll just say this, in the 32 years that she's been in office, she's had three primary challengers. I think that all incumbents should be in challenge, should be challenged just to keep yeah. them on their toes, right? Because yeah. you, can, you can become complacent, you can get a little comfortable. Yeah. And I was noticing that some people just felt like, you know, sh- she shouldn't be challenged or, or maybe we'll right. just wait until she makes that decision. And I respect that. But I also, again, understand that democracy is healthier um, mm-hmm. when there are multiple people in the mix. And yes. so with yeah. that, that in mind, I decided to go ahead and go for it. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I, I think, you know, so often we fall into this trap where we think that, you know, it's her seat or it's his seat just because they've been in it for so long. When in fact, all of these positions belong to we, the people. And, you know, if, if we, the people want to make a change, 
That's certainly our prerogative. And uh, and just so DC is the type of place, and you know there are places like this all over the country on both sides, where the real race is in the primary. Um, whoever wins yes. the Democratic primary in DC mm-hmm. is going to be is going to hold this position. Correct. That that's very true. And just to go back to something that you said, that's another thing that I say on the trail when people will say to me, "Oh, are you um, you running for Eleanor's seat?" And I'll say, with all due respect, it's the people's seat. Yeah. If that's yep. the people's seat. I have to remind people my run has been just as much about voter inspiration as it has been about education. Some people yep. literally forgot that that's a house seat that's up every two years mm-hmm. because she's been in it so long. So mm-hmm. they're saying, you know, they'll ask me, well, is she retiring? And I'll say, well, you know, yeah. if if you retire her, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? It is, it, yeah. it's, it's not <laughs> that's that's an elected seat. It's not an appointed yes, seat. Yep. So, right. you know, I just so, try, I have to yeah. help people out. <laughs> yeah. Wendy, talk to us about D.C. statehood and, you know, if okay. D.C. should be a state, like why, like how that would impact, you know, I'm in Arkansas, Doug's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Like what, like how do you have any sense of like, you know, how that how that impacts, you know, the the rest of the country, you know, whether or not D.C. should be a state and how how all that works? What's what's your take on that? Of course, it will benefit, you know, the rest of the country because we'll be fully participatory. We'll be able to bring some of our voices and our expertise to the, you know, to the state level conversations. But before, with all due respect, before it benefiting the rest of the people, what about us? Yeah. We are mm. 700,000 tax paying re- residents. We pay more taxes than 33 states right now. We mm. have more population than Wyoming and Vermont, who both have representation. And yet we we don't. We have to wait and be beholden to the federal government to make decisions on what we uh, feel is best for our city. So we can put our budget together. We can decide we want to do something. And then the federal government can say, I oh, know, you know what? D.C. doesn't need that. You know, let's go back to January 6th for a moment. If you all recall that particular day, we didn't even have the authority to summon the National Guard to come protect our citizens. We had to we have to go through, you know, DOD and and and, and calls weren't getting through and people didn't know who, you know, who to get to to sign off on getting the National Guard to protect us here in D.C. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you have a New Mexico representative who was introducing a, you know, some legislation to ban critical race theory in D.C. public schools. Well, first and foremost, sir, <laughs> critical <laughs> race theory is not being taught in D.C. public schools. But secondly, I'm going to need you to focus on public schools in New Mexico. You've not even set foot in a D.C. public school. How dare you sit over there on Capitol Hill and make decisions about a school system just because it's something to do that you've never even experienced. And so it's things like that that suggest Mm -hmm. to me that D.C. statehood is important for us first and foremost, but what benefits us would thereby benefit the nation. Yeah. yeah, boy, Wendy. I mean, I, I've I have so many thoughts about statehood. Um, it, there's this one part of my brain that says, of course, there should be statehood representation, which would mean two senators. It would mean yes. uh, a, a a selection of Congress people, maybe not just one non-voting delegate, but maybe maybe two, and maybe two. The, the normalization. The other side of it which is somebody who doesn't live in D.C., I really like the idea that Washington, D.C. is this head of our federal, the location of our federal government and kind of belongs to everybody. You know, that mm-hmm. that thing where you feel like it's not, it's not Iowa versus Minnesota. It's not Arkansas compared to Louisiana. You know, the kind of possessiveness that comes in states, people's relationship. Right. It's, that, I don't know, we kind of all own it. And I used to really struggle with those two competing ideas. And then some people said, well, look, you still make that. You make a portion. Maybe it's the center of it and it's sort yeah. of a donut. And, and there's a way where that's it's still this. Yeah. Talk, would you, would yeah. you talk a bit about that? Because that, I think a lot of people are actually, it, it would carve out the federal district. So the federal district would still remain. All, all of the, the seat of government would be its, its own federal district. We're talking about the surrounding eight wards of, of culturally diverse, vibrant residents who all, 
often get confused with what happens in the federal district. And that's why we're fighting. We're fighting for our identity because there's a Washington and then there's a D.C. You understand what I'm saying? And oftentimes we get lumped in with what's happening over on Pennsylvania Avenue with every, oh, Washington's a swamp or Washington's this, or they can't get yeah. things together. We're like, excuse me, we can. We're just trying to go to work. We're just trying to do what we need to do. Yeah. And the issue, there's really not a, a reason not to make us a state. They've made it a political issue, essentially. Mm-hmm. Republicans yeah. have mostly said, if we give D.C. statehood, that's going to be two probably guaranteed blue Senate seats that are going to flip the power of the Senate and we can't afford that. So therefore we're going to keep denying these people, right? That's not okay. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that DC happens to vote blue. It's not about that. It it transcends ideology. It's a, it's a human right. It's also a racial justice issue because Washington DC has the, the largest plurality of black and brown voters in the country too. So there's mm-hmm. some of that that's coming into play that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. is is causing the, the statehood delay because mm-hmm. trust me, I believe personally if they thought for a second that either one of those senate seats were going to be republican, we'd have probably been a state, you know, last <laughs> last cycle. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, uh, Wendy, what, what about this <laughs> argument that people make that says, look, take the population of DC and sort of cut it in half or whatever, put some of it in Maryland, put some of it in Virginia, make those the citizens just part of the, you know, the citizenry of the adjoining states and be done with it. What about that? How do people, how does someone like you think about that? And how will you advocate for that when you're the representative from the, from uh, Washington, DC? I'm just going to advocate based on what the people want. And Maryland doesn't want us back. Virginia doesn't want us back. And we don't want to go back to them either. I, I mean, that, that may sound you know, trivial to some, but, but it would, you know, you're talking about, you know, adding 300,000 more folks to, to, to Maryland or to Virginia. And they already have their own legislatures in place. They already have the, the, the capital cities and, and, and the needs of DC residents are unique. And we have determined that we can govern ourselves and it would take too much effort to do something. The retrocession is not something either jurisdiction is interested in. And so for me, you would have to our our residents would need to know why we feel like that is is more uh, feasible than simply just granting us statehood, which is something that has happened over the course of our history for the past 200 years. Yeah, you know, that's a really important point a lot of us don't think about because if you're a certain age like I am, all the states were sort of settled by the time I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's these lingering issues that hang out there like D.C. or Puerto Rico or, you know, all the people who live in the in the other places that don't have full Apparently. representation. And then yes. some of our states are just too big and other ones are just too small. Like the f- idea that you have two senators from every state, which includes California and New York and Florida and Texas, massive populations with two representatives. And like you say, Vermont and Idaho and Wyoming and other places where the proportional representation is so small. So some people are like, hey, we should get this thing up to like, you know, 55 or 60 states, divide Texas, divide uh, California, yes. divide Florida, make them two separate. Like, let's do an entire state project in this country to really reimagine our politics. And the people I've heard talk about this, they're like, it actually balance. It's probably going to balance out for the places that will lean toward one side, lean toward another or be sort of up for grabs. So it's going to keep the balance sort of where it is, but just would give us better representation. And it feels like that's also true, not only at the Senate level, but also there used to be a number tagged to how many representatives based on population. And then we've decided, Correct. no, we're going to lock that in at a certain number. So it feels like all this long question, uh, do you feel as I do that the citizenry of our country is just underrepresented by the number of representatives that we have available to us? And somehow that creates this idea that people are disconnected from their politics? Absolutely. They are underrepresented and inadequately represented. And so I think that 
we need to reimagine and redesign everything. So much has changed uh, yeah. since these original mm-hmm. designs. And to think somehow that we, you know, wouldn't evolve to meet these moments is, yeah. is unfortunate. And why we see people becoming so disillusioned and disconnected from the government. Yeah. Now, Wendy, during the during the 2020 election, you were really energized by the the campaign of Andrew Yang. You're part of the Yang gang. And uh, and I, hopefully that's OK for me to say. I don't you know. I, um, so I, and, and I know that part of the reason why is that that you're a big believer in universal basic income. Um, yeah. You know, could, could you tell us about why that why that's such an important idea and an, and an idea that that time has, has really come for us as a country? Well, let me say, yes, I am definitely Yang Gang. I was on board early. <laughs> I actually had the pleasure of serving as the director of spiritual and cultural outreach for the mm-hmm. Andrew Yang presidential campaign. So that was an incredible experience and also served to help me make this decision to run for Congress uh, not long after he suspended his presidential campaign. So uh, definitely uh, am grateful to his influence. But it was his stance on universal basic income that drew me to become interested in his campaign in the first place. I read an article that was introducing his presidential run back in 2018. It was called The Robots Are Coming. And it was talking about the threat of automation and how many jobs were you know, set to be automated away or had been automated away, and particularly across the Midwest, and how that was some of what um, got Trump elected. This, those folks felt left out of the conversation that nobody was paying attention to what they needed and that we needed to be thinking about uh, removing the middleman and bureaucracy and getting money into people's hands, direct cash payments to help them recover, you know, to get them a lifeline. And all I could think about, I'm from Ohio originally. I don't know if you all Yay. both knew that. <laughs> Go no. where, in, where in Ohio? Uh, Portsmouth, Ohio, Southern Ohio, just yeah. south of Columbus. I was born yeah, there and raised. Nice. I was I was yeah, born and raised in Cleveland, so. Okay, so you were at the top of the state. I was at the yep. exact opposite bottom, yep. but all my family is there, and my dad was born in Dayton. Everybody's there, mm-hmm. and I came here to go to Howard University when I was 17 years old and fell in love with D.C. and stayed, so I consider D.C. my adult home, but <laughs> having been in the Midwest and growing up there, you know, there were a lot of factories. My grandfather worked at the atomic plant. My grandmother worked at the shoe factory, and when those folks... Uh, ship jobs overseas or close those jobs got automated away my my grandparents had nothing to fall back on and my city kind of collapsed in on itself you know that they, they brought in other jobs but the pay wasn't comparable you know you can't work on an, an assembly line job and, and and make you know decent 25 dollars an hour which was a lot in the late 70s uh yeah. you know or early 80s and then expect someone to go work at walmart it just it didn't work out and I, so i thought about if my grandparents had a universal basic income, if they had an, a UBI that they knew that they could rely on until they could figure out what their next steps would be, I think mm-hmm. that that would have helped them feel a little bit better about their situation and other families. And when I read the principle of universal basic income and how it's a thousand dollars a month, unconditional, not something that you have to qualify for, that you have to be means tested and jump through a bunch of hoops to prove to people that you're worthy of receiving. I said, now this has got spiritual connotations to me. Let me read a little mm-hmm. more deeply. And then I discovered that Martin Luther King had championed it. And matter of fact, in his book, Chaos or Community, the night before he was assassinated, he was speaking about the basic income and getting money into people's hands, a guaranteed minimum income that we needed to now start empowering people financially to have so that they could do better. So if Martin Luther King was championing it, I was like, oh, sign me up because that sounds like looking out for the least of these and, and caring for yeah. the poor. And yeah. so that's why universal basic income is so incredibly important to me, not just because it has practical implications, it has spiritual ones according to who we say we are as a nation. It's not a handout, it's a help out. And we used to do that in this country. Yeah, boy, I mean, I'm a big UBI fan myself. And you know, the historical uh, reference to that is really important that in the late 60s and early 70s, King was supportive of it. And so was Richard Nixon. 
people didn't Absolutely. know. And, and the argument and the alternative against then, I don't think they call it UBI, I think they call it base minimum income, but yeah. against Guaranteed UBI minimum base minimum income. income was the alternative to that was the minimum wage, putting the mm -hmm. demand onto businesses to pay a minimum wage. And these two yeah. ideas were in competition. Ultimately, the minimum wage uh, won out. And now, so in the last 50 years, just the way we manage how we care for people in our society, yeah. because we have a very yeah. sophisticated and complex and whole filled system for doing this from food stamps to unemployment insurance to tax deductions to breaks, child, child tax credits, all this stuff would be so much cheaper. We've I've gone on and on about this in this podcast. We would save so much money by removing the 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 system that has to manage all of that that there would be enough money just in the management of the system. Now, those people that manage all that system would have to be cared for too because it's a lot of employees that actually care for all that system. But when people think how would we could we afford it? It's yep. not an issue of is there enough money? The amount of money spent now on payments mm -hmm. that go out and the administration mm -hmm. of it is sufficient in my reading. Anyway, it is sufficient right. for it this. So it's something else. And it's based on this merit based system where we think people should only get from the government if somehow they They've deserve it. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then we don't really Great. mean that. We don't mean that about social security. We don't mean that about veterans affairs. We don't mean that about farmers uh, being underwritten for crap. Like we don't actually mean that. Uh, we really mean poor people shouldn't get money because they don't work hard enough. That's basically That's exactly what it right. is. Um, and, exactly and so it's right. really a poverty, it's a poverty conversation that, that interlaces with race and everything else. But there's enough poor white people in this country that should really be advocating for this along with all the uh, people of other um, racial communities that should be advocating for this. Yeah. And I really had hoped that, 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 that what the lasting consequence of Andrew Yang's run would be this conversation. So you're going to have to pick up this mantle is what I'm saying. So when you're the representative <laughs> from DC, Reverend Wendy, we're going to really need you walking around with, you know, with a federal checkbook in your hand saying, let's write those checks to, uh, let's write those checks to everybody. It would just be. I, I'm look, already ready. To go, I'm sorry. I, I'm already ready to go head up a UBI caucus. You know, we got progressive yeah. caucuses, caucuses and all that other kind of stuff. Where's the UBI caucus at? Where's the folks that, you know, are talking about what you just said? Because this is about eradicating poverty. This isn't about anything else. But if we can eradicate poverty, a whole lot of the other issues that we're experiencing in this nation would be solved overnight. Yeah, You know, it's yeah. one of the things, look, you can't solve everything with money. What you mm -hmm. can solve with money are the problems created by not having enough money. So, you know, you can't solve every problem. It doesn't give, doesn't buy you love. But it does right. buy you a house and a car and things to eat. Like it, it's this this craziness of the system we have just makes no sense. And there's this option that's out there, which and which we saw both with the earned child income tax credit moving it up from right. being dispersed, you know, at tax time to overall uh, throughout the year, and then the basic minimum income payments that went out to nearly everybody during the pandemic. Like, yeah. if you wondered how we would ever do this, where would the money come from? How would it work? We've, we all, we've already done it, and we should just keep going. If we can bail out banks, we can bail out our people. Yeah. 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 Hey. yeah. Yeah. Wendy, let me ask you this. What, I mean, you're a first time candidate. What, what have you learned uh, on the campaign trail? What, take folks inside for like a non-career politician. Like what's it, what's it like running for office? Like if you, has anything surprised you? Have you learned something? Have you like, oh, I had no idea it was going to be this way. Like, like give us a little window into what it's like to actually run for office as a regular person. It is intimidating. It is exciting. It is exhausting, but it is also exhilarating all at the same time. The one thing that I would recommend to anyone who is considering running for office, first and foremost, let me say, do it. If it's on your heart to do, do it. Part of the reason I'm running, I tell people, is because I can. But so can you. 
You know, right. get offline, get off Twitter and go down to your board of elections and fill out some paperwork. If, if you know, because, you know, it, I mean, there is a place for online advocacy, but we are you know so quick to complain about what's not being done, not recognizing that we have the opportunity to, you know, to go change it ourselves and step up if, if we don't feel like others are stepping up in a way that we want them to. So. Uh, I, I, I commend anyone who, who takes this on because it's not for the mm-hmm. faint of heart. Um, uh-huh. I, I'll say that. Uh, one of the things that I have learned, though, is that you need to constantly refer to your why. Mm-hmm. And that is what will keep you going. Not donations, not you know, folks supporting you, because even in those moments, there will be times where you question, is this the right thing? Am I making the right choice here? And you have to remind yourself, why did I choose to do this in the first place? Mm -hmm. What was it I was hoping to do? What was it I was hoping to achieve? And so long as you can keep that front and center, it helps you um, get through those tougher times when you think that maybe you have gotten in over your head. You know, I'm I'm not a politician. I'm a minister. I'm a mama. I'm a new grandmama. You know, hey. the love of my life. <laughs> the love of my life was born on May 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. May 11, 2020. My baby grandson Miles, he keeps me going. When I look in his eyes and his face, I think about the world I want to, to, to leave for him. And so I think that, you know, for anybody who's thinking about it, first and foremost, determine what your why is. Look around you at what race to run. Because again, there were other offices. Some people said to me, Reverend Wendy, why, why not mayor or city council? Why'd you go straight for, you know, Congress? Mm-hmm. And I said, because I feel like you need to match yourself with tasks that match your strengths, not necessarily exploit your weaknesses. The mayoral and city council roles, those are more administrative executive level. That's not my strength per se. I'm not the one to keep the police chief and the fire chief from strangling each other in a, in a meeting. You know, <laughs> that's not, but But if you want me to use my voice, I'm an advocate. I speak up on the behalf of the masses. I can Mm. talk and use, you know, use my voice to to speak out for the voiceless and for those who feel like they've, you know, been forgotten in society. That was a better fit for Congress. And Mm. so also determine where you will best be suited. So so a day in the life of a candidate really is about focusing in on your why, surrounding yourself with a, a, a good team, but also understanding and keeping in mind that the run should not be about you, but mm. about the constituents and the representatives that you desire to serve. Yeah, well said. Wendy, this is um, just fantastic. Uh, just tell us uh, real quickly here at the end of our, our time for chatting, what's the calendar for you? When When is the primary? Are there other dates that are more important before that for people that want to want to get connected? What, what do they need to know for, for scheduling? Well, as you all said, with with D.C. being primarily uh, Democratic, the, the the likelihood is that the winner of the primary will go on to be the, the nominee for the general. So the primary is, is important. It's June 21st. We're just mm. under 100 days until the primary, June 21st. Uh, 2022. Uh, prior to that, though, we're right in the midst in the thick of now trying to collect signatures to get my name on the ballot. Cause that's another thing you have to think about the very practical things of running for office in DC to be on the ballot. And that's everybody incumbent, anybody running for a citywide statewide office has to get 2000 signatures uh, hmm. from DC registered voters in order to get your name on the ballot. So I've been out here hustling at farmers markets and grocery stores. Uh, you know, I, I turn around while I'm in the checkout line at CVS and I'm like, excuse me, you know, are you, because 2000 people are a lot. It's a lot of people. So. Yeah. It's a lot yep. of people. And look, it's, it's one of the great things about retail politics. You got to get out there and look someone in the eye and say, I want to serve this community in this way and I need your help to do it. I'm just so glad that our system demands that. I wish more yep. people had to had to uh, engage in it. And we just couldn't be more uh, more proud of what you're doing and would, yep. would love Thank to you. help you again. So uh, Wendy for Congress, Reverend yep. Wendy yes. for Congress. Yes. No. 
Rev, yeah, Rev, Rev Wendy for Congress, <laughs> Rev Wendy for Congress.com. Yes. Yep. And I, and, and, you know, we are a people power campaign. Please check us out. Um, please help. Even if you're not in DC, if you can spread the word, like I mentioned earlier, I'm running against a 32 year incumbent with citywide name recognition. So one of our biggest obstacles was getting our name out there. But once people find out I'm running, once people say like, Oh, somebody is running. I'm hearing that. Oh, thank God. I'll have an option this time, you know, so helping us spread the word is, is, is paramount, especially in the, in these final months. Yep. And I would just say this, um, for those of you that are TikTok users, you got to follow Reverend Wendy on TikTok. Um, there's, there, there are two, two must follows in politics on TikTok. Reverend Wendy is one, uh, a lady running for Lieutenant Governor of Arkansas named Kelly Kraut, who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks, is another. Using TikTok like it's meant to be used as a politician. Wendy, I just absolutely love it. You got to follow Thank Reverend you. Wendy on TikTok. <laughs> Wendy, thanks, so thanks for being with us. We're going to show people your uh, your video uh, here in our, in our, as our transition. But thank you so much for running. Thanks for being yeah. a part of this. And we look forward to staying in touch with you about all this. Thank you so much for your time today and your you're support and for the great work you are doing. I appreciate oh, it. Thanks. Thank you. I wake up every morning ready to minister to the needs of D.C. families to help them along their life's journey. My D.C. journey began in 1986 on the campus of Howard University, where I came to experience what hope is all about. I'm a minister, a mother, a grandmother, a public servant, fighting for a better world that I believe is still possible for my family and for yours. D.C. is my adult home, the place that raised me, shaped me, embraced me, inspired me, and gave me the audacity to hope for brighter days ahead for all eight wards of our city. I'm running for D.C. Delegate in Congress to represent the voices and aspirations of the 700,000 culturally diverse residents who deserve D.C. statehood, UBI, and so much more. With every conversation, every encounter, every connection, I become more and more committed to bringing tangible changes to the lives of all our people and dealing more hope across our city. I'll bring that same energy to Capitol Hill if given the opportunity. My life built me for this. I can do this. All I need to be given is the chance. I'm Wendy Hamilton. I'm running for Congress, and I approve this message. Yeah, it's a great video. Hey, what was that yeah. flag with the three red stars and the three red stripes? Do you know? Is that a DC flag? I would assume that's the DC flag. Never um, seen that in my life. Yeah. Well, Wendy's yeah. Wendy's fantastic. I yeah, isn't she something? Forward, yeah. Forward to that connection for a long yeah. while. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Hey, Rob. Um, more more happening in uh, you know in in politics. Yeah. Uh, so, Doug, I. We, we we have a little game that we play every once in a while here on the show. It's a it's a little game of has Doug seen this, and uh, where we play a little video that you hopefully have not seen, and we watch your reaction live. Okay. Um, All right. So so we've got a video that we want to watch now. This is the former president of the United States, that former guy, uh, appearing on a the podcast. Failed, the failed the the, the failed um, reelection candidate. Yep. Twice impeached one. Okay. Yeah. Because there's just a lot of former presidents. I just like to segregate them out by those who lost their reelection and those who were impeached from yeah. those who, uh, who were not. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that one. Uh, yeah. So, um, on a podcast that is uh, a uh, UFC themed podcast, because certainly the former president of the United States should spend his time there. Um, and he is, uh, he's asked a little podcast. I mean, let's, let's, let's champion all the small who would be on that podcast yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then he, so he's asked a question about the Ukraine and uh, about Ukraine and the war going on there. And, uh, and, and he has a, a, a response that I really want you to see. All right. Uh, it would have never happened. And we did talk about it. I mean, he oh, definitely okay. wanted Ukraine, loved Ukraine. Would never have happened. What do you see happening next then? Because it seems like the tensions are high. What? How does this all end? Is this going to be like a long-term thing? How do you see it unfolding? Well, I, and I said this a long time ago, if this happens, uh, we are uh, playing right into their hands, green energy. The windmills, they don't work. They're too expensive. They kill all the birds. They ruin your landscapes. And yet the environmentalists love the windmills. And I've been preaching this for years. 
the windmills, and I had them way down, but the windmills are the most expensive energy you can have, uh, and they don't work. And by the way, they last a period of 10 years, and by the time they start rusting and rotting all over the place, nobody ever takes them down. They just go onto the next piece of prairie or land and destroy that. It's incredible that they want, but other forms of uh, green energy, they don't have. I mean, that is unbelievable. What do you think is going to happen in Ukraine? And then he just goes into green energy. The windmills. So it's just separating out the fact that somehow either misheard the question or as a lot of us believe he has some mental deterioration going on and lost track of the question. And, and what, but then his belief about windmills is just, <laughs> it's not true. That's, that's, Look, windmills might not be the best form, but they don't kill the birds and they don't just rust and fall into prairies. And then, oh, my lands. It is just something, you know, we just continue to say in the work that we do that the candidate matters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, political party is a big deal, but people will make changes because candidates are attractive to them or candidates are repulsive to them. But every time Donald Trump talks, I think he just he he he's just a condemnation of that theory. He just shows no, it doesn't matter. You can be a total well, as his former Secretary of State said, a total moron. His words and mine, and still have people be like, "That's my guy," because I like what he did, what a stuff he accomplished. I really love it. As if what you do and say as the President of the United States are not linked together. It is just. The man. And, you know, previous to that, he'd just gone on and on about how great, how smart he thought Putin was by declaring parts of Ukraine independent and then moving a, quote, peacekeeping force in and then said, we should do that on our southern border. Mm -hmm. We should invade Mexico with our military. He thought that was a good idea. I mean, it is just... The man, yeah. I, and I just heard something. I heard, saw people posting things about the windmills incident, and I hadn't seen that. That is unreal. I even <laughs> thought there's no way he actually pivoted from what's going on in Ukraine to windmills and kills the birds, and I've, I've stopped oh. the windmill. Oh, so funny. So very hey, funny. Uh, and, and, you know, people now are talking all the more like he's going to run for – I just – Honestly, I hope he runs again. I, 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 I've, I, I would love it because, you know, as the great line from the great movie, The Princess Bride, it's going to be humiliations galore. Like when you don't have the power of the presidency behind you any longer, you've been laid open before the American population for the person you are from the, the your, your, your previous you know, term in office to the insurrection to the stop the steal nonsense and to just everything he continues to say now, just unfettered. Uh, I hope the man runs for office again mm-hmm. and just uh, feels the humiliations galore because he can't, can't get away. And, and I don't want to see people be humiliated. I think, you know, I don't want to cheer on a person's demise, but sometimes, you know, the best thing you can do is, uh, you know, to, to get, get what you asked for. And uh, mm-hmm. running again, I think would be great for that that guy. Hey, uh, I got. Are you, are you done on that, or do you want to make any? Yeah, oh, no, no, that's good. I just wanted to. I just wanted to get your reaction. Um, hey, hey, uh, I heard a, a NPR radio deal the other day, um, and and it was uh, hosted this this segment by uh, Sarah McCammon, who uh, is friend of uh, ours and was on our Volcom a good boss doing a reporting. I feel very and, and has covered a lot of our work. And she's now rising in the stature at uh, at NPR. So I always listen more attentively when Sarah McCammon is on. And she uh, they introduced she introduced this segment that we're going to play a piece of, which includes two Congresswomen, both of whom we support, both are Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of whom we've campaigned for and with twice, Susan Wild, and and the other one is Representative Jayapal. And what came out of this little. Uh, radio segment, voices of both of them, I thought was so helpful to understand one of the other dynamics in our politics. You have progressivism versus conservatism. You have republicanism versus democratism. You have structure versus unstructure. You have a status quo versus a new, new thought. Like all of these are true forces in our politics. 
And there's one other one that this interview sort of brought into relief to me. And I thought, boy, this is where I think we are right now. And this is a debate inside this one. They're going to talk about is a debate inside of the Democratic caucus, but it also exists inside the Republican caucus. And it's this debate. Is our politics about getting things done or is our politics and the reason for elections and the motivation for elections that it grabs the aspirations of people that were fighting for something that matters regardless of getting it done? Do we hold to our principles? Do we advocate for the fight for the things that we want? And that's what voters demand. Or do we work to compromise and accomplish and not, not overpromise and get things done? Now that is just all over the place, right? That, and people can land in these two camps irrespective of their other, you know, uh, 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 political, political differences. I would say on the Democratic side, I'm quite happy with that debate because they both seem legitimate and I can, I think they, they both move different kinds of voters. The ones who are like, mm-hmm. I just like the person because she gets things done or I like the person because she advocates for the things that matter and she's in this for the long haul, right? No, she's not going to win every battle. That's not what it's about. It's about advocating. For, I like both of those. On the Republican side currently, that same thing exists. They're like, hey, let's compromise. Let's get things done. Let's come up with good bills. Let's just move move things forward. That's what legislation is about. The you know the get stuff done crowd, and then the other more ideological crowd. Unfortunately, the things they're advocating for, I really don't want to have people advocating for those things. And you know, like uh, telling trans kids that they that they're being endangered by their parents, separating kids from their parents at the border, telling women that they don't have health care choices, making sure that, that limitations are put on how our government interacts with individuals. Like, and then just the blatant racism and pro-Russian nonsense that comes out of that group. So you have ideologues on both sides and you have uh, these people who are trying to accomplish something. So, uh, Rob, I'm interested in your response to this because I don't think you've heard this in full. But here it is. This is uh, Democratic Representative Susan Wild and then uh, Democratic Representative Jayapal who uh, are uh, in this NPR uh, radio interview or r- radio story that I think really capture this. So here we go. Another Democrat in a purple seat, Congresswoman Susan Wild, skipped the conference with the president in her home state. She said it was more important to be in her district so her constituents know she's working to address the issues they care about. One of those things will be the rising cost of gasoline and other products. I need to talk about what we are doing to make sure that the shortages that we are seeing in the grocery stores and that kind of thing are being addressed. She said she can point to the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the progress coming out of COVID, but says her own party made a mistake pledging a sweeping social spending bill, which stalled out. It's always a problem when over promises are made. And I do think that there was a problem with some things being over promised. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington State, who chairs the Progressive Caucus, pushed back at that. I don't understand the over promising thing. You know, elections are won on people believing your vision. It's a reminder that the tension between the party's centrists and progressives, who couldn't agree on the price tag for Biden's signature legislative package, is still very real. I think it isn't that we have to be able to get every single piece of our vision done, but we do need to show that we understand the pain that people are facing, and we have to be able to show that we're working on it and we're trying to get it done. See, there it is, right? It's so Mm -hmm. clear, these two very articulate and um, well-argued points. Susan Wilde basically saying what I mean by progressive is that we show progress in getting things done. Representative Jayapal saying what I mean by progressive is that we, as she puts it, speak in such a way that people believe in our vision and know that we're fighting hard for these causes, even if we don't get things done. Which Even if we don't get everything done. We don't get everything done. Yes. So, so this is, um, this is the dilemma, right? Like is the role of our politics to cut a deal and move forward. And then some people really come down on all that, right? They just hate that stuff. They're like, now you're a rhino or a dymo or a dino or whatever you, you know, like you, all, all you're there to do is just strike a deal with the enemy, you know, some people, and then other people are like, 
look, I'm going to champion yeah. the thing that matters and I'm not going to spend my time, you know, worrying about these little bit, like in, in the state of the union, Biden's made some statement. Like I have signed more bipartisan legislation than any president up until this date or something like that. Some massive number of bills that he signed. And I was like, seriously, I don't hear about any of those. And I follow this stuff really closely. I don't hear about any of the like bipartisan accomplishment stuff that's been sort of moved along. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Do you think that's just there's there's multiple constituencies and some people are motivated by one or the other? Do you think politics should be more about one than the other? Do you think it's just there's a time, you know, it's a book of Ecclesiastes yeah. response? How, how do you see it? I, I think depending on your reaction to the word compromise will probably determine where you fall on this spectrum. If you, if you think the word compromise is a dirty word and you're like, Oh, I, I like that person's a compromiser and that's a negative thing that indicates where you're at. Or if you say, you know, what we need is compromise. And like, that's what, well, like we don't have enough compromise. And like, if, if you have a positive reaction to the word. So I think, you know, the way that word gets used, that's probably mm-hmm. like the bellwether mm-hmm. in terms of where, you know, you stand on this. Um, I think the reality is that they're both right. Um, they're, they're both right. And uh, I agree with both of them. There is mm-hmm. that sense of voters vary. You know, it's I, I don't think you can say, well, you know, voters demand that we compromise, yes. that we get stuff done or voters demand that we stick to our principles and we fight for the big ideas because some voters demand this and <laughs> some voters demand that. And yeah. that even varies on issues, too. Um, right. You know, there's some that you want big structural change in some areas and you want incremental change in other areas now like i and i feel like i i don't i don't necessarily feel like i'm i might be a good representation of this because i am like i have big bold progressive ideas that i believe in but i'm also really pragmatic when it comes to politics um And I like I'm not I and I actually I think one of the real dangers on the progressive side of things is um, a a progressive political fundamentalism that like that that, like I, I actually think that that's a real danger. But I think candidates who run with big, bold ideas, um, you know, I are the type of candidates that inspire people. I think the, I think the kind of, well, you know, just be a moderate and, you know, like that's, I, I don't think that's the kind of candidate that inspires people. I, I think those that run with big, bold ideas do. Uh, and, but the job is one of conversation, but I, I think the danger that a lot of, I think that the thing that a lot of progressives feel like is, incremental change isn't good enough. It's, you know, you have to fight so hard for every little, for every inch of ground that you get. Like if we're going to fight this hard to get this inch, why, like there's not that much of a difference in how hard we have to fight to get a foot. You know, why are we settling for an inch? Like Mm -hmm. you think about the fight that we had to get to get Obamacare, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, um, uh, the health care marketplace. And like that was, you know, absolutely pulling teeth to get that accomplished. That was insane. It was horrible. It's a horrible thing and it doesn't work. And most of us are absolutely frustrated other than, you know, the fact that we're... Some it's really one of those things like, was the compromise worth it? it? Was the compromise yeah. worth it? Yeah. Well, look, yeah. I mean, I, look, I think that's... Um, I think th- this is really the question that, that faces more often than not. more Even more often than, you know, uh, where someone is on their political location, party wise or, you know, uh, progressive or not. What, what I actually think is the, the great, I mean, I think the great combination is someone who has a very bold idea and is willing to compromise. 
What I don't like is that the people who normally want to compromise often feel and sound like people who are like, I don't really have very big ideas. I What I want is just yeah. a little. I like the kind of people that like want a big, bold thing and say, okay, until we get that, we're going to take this, but we're going to keep moving with that. The, the phrase I thought was so helpful or so enlightening in this was when Representative Jayapal said, I don't really understand this overpromising complaint. You know, and I'm sure Representative Wilde is saying like, you should understand that because people are really frustrated, right? And yeah, it's easy yeah. for people on both sides to look at the other one and say, hey, it's easy to be the compromiser. It's hard to hold to your values. And then the people who work on you know, making a deal and compromising say, it's easy to just sit over there and demand what you want and never have to put it into reality. Like, I don't understand you. Why are you taking the easy way out? This is the divide that I think... Yeah. Democratic Party could do very well to incorporate both of those and to talk mm -hmm. about both of them and to to show to value this, both of them to value them and say this is what we're working mm -hmm. out like this is this is the thing we're doing and start to articulate rather than make it feel like the separation that's going on inside the Democratic Party is true between the moderates and the progressives and you know this thing that's like. Uh, no, it's, this is just the reality of what we live with. You know, there's this great old religious teaching without a vision, the people will perish. And without some food on the table, people will perish. So you kind of got to have both. You know, you really do want to have this big, bold vision and get some things done along the way. But the idea that I don't understand the overpromising or I don't understand people who want to you know, just pro just make promises and promises and promises about things that are never going to happen. What's that about? And they're both trying to say, I have to go home to my constituents and say, I did what you sent me there for, which is what? To get stuff done or to fight for our values? Well, no one I've ever met has said, I'll take just one of the two, you know, everybody right. says, can, can I get that in a combo in a combo meal with a drink? You know, can I, can I include all three of those in there? Um, and that's, I feel like that is right, especially for the party that's, that's in power at the federal level. This is the question. Mm -hmm. Can they motivate the base of we need to get things done and the base that says I have strong values and, those two groups need to know and be in conversation with each other much, much, much more often, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my little uh, political insight. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. I think it's spot on. All right. Hey, if you're uh, living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, come see us on Saturday. If you're living in Columbus, Ohio, come see us on Sunday. If you're in West Michigan, see us in Grand Haven on Monday, in Grand Rapids on Tuesday, in Holland on Wednesday. If you're in, in South Bend, Indiana, come see us on Thursday. If you're in Madison, Wisconsin, come see us on Saturday. And if you're in Minneapolis, Minnesota, come see us a week from Sunday. Um, uh, we would love to see you. We're going to be traveling on the Common Good Immigration Tour, talking about what we saw and the people we met along the border, bringing some of them with us and showing parts of the portions of our documentary and uh, all of that, wherever you're watching this, all of that is going to come to you in those same places. We'll send some audio out for the podcast. And if you're watching live, we're going to be um, uh, sharing this. Well, where in Columbus? Well, two places in Columbus, Barbara, I will tell you uh, in the morning, we're visiting a church, the, uh, the, the men in the Columbus Mennonite church at nine 30 in the morning. And then that evening we're at uh, Jacob's porch, which is over by the, uh, Jacob's um, porch, Jacob's well, Jacob's porch, Jacob's, Jacob's porch. Yeah. yeah. Whole other church. Yeah. Yeah. Backstory there. Backstory there. It's uh, not Jacob's yes. well. It's not. No, no. It's called oh. Jacob's porch. And we're there, uh, at five 30. It's on the Ohio state university campus. Um, all of this is the votecommongood.com website, all those. And there's also Facebook events. So Barbara, share this with your friends, share it around. Peggy, we know we're going to be seeing you. Um, and uh, it's, they're, they're going to be spectacular yeah. events. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, can't wait to see you. Uh, producer Dan's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, a a Ryersey, but not Rob. Vanessa Ryersey will be there. So uh, people that you already know and love. Uh, so yeah. come, come be with yep. your friends. And so yeah, our regular podcast schedule, by the way, uh, because we're going to be coming to you in the evenings. So, you know, yep. hang, hang, hang tight and look at us with a PM instead of an AM on your, on your appointment watching. 
Yeah. And I, I'd say this too, that uh, tomorrow evening, for those of you that are on Twitter, I am going to be um, on uh, a, a, a Twitter spaces conversation, uh, wow. which is like the Twitter version of Clubhouse. I don't know if you're... If you use Twitter Spaces yet, Doug, I, I haven't. So, but I'm I'm gonna get my first chance tomorrow. Um, so, those of you that are on Twitter, come check it out. I'm gonna be on with uh, the Lincoln Project, talking about um, vote common good, as well as uh, a Lincoln Project project called the Union um, that uh, that you ought to check out. That uh, vote common good is is proud to be a part of. And uh, yeah, so if you're on Twitter tomorrow evening, and uh, follow me or follow the uh the lincoln project we're going to be having a conversation about vote common good and stuff that the uh lincoln project has going on lots of stuff happening in the uh common goodery of vote common good so we will uh we'll talk to you later gator see ya <laughs>